Welcome to Tackling the NFL, the only NFL podcast who would give Taysom Hill $200 million. I'm Josh Rosenberg. That's Adam Baltax. And it is the beginning of free agency, which is very exciting. The news has been flying all day. We are recording on Monday evening, March 15th. And I'm going to disappoint you all right now. We will not be giving you our hottest takes. Because by the time we re- release this episode, it will be Thursday. Like two more days of free agency will come out. All of this will be old news. And so I apologize for that deeply. If you want to stop listening right now, you can stop. You can come back next week. What we will be doing to make it up for you, a really, really fun episode. Uh, I'm not going to spoil it now. I will ma- I will talk about it at the end of the show. If you listen all the way till the end, um, we'll be doing a really fun episode to make up for not talking about it this week. And this week instead, like we said last week, we will be doing a report card. I think that may- all makes sense, right, Adam? Yep. I'm trying to get that listener rate up. I like it. Uh, yeah. Listen to yeah. the end and, and you'll hear our great idea for next week. Yeah. But, but this week we do have some, some interesting stuff in plan too. Oh yeah. So we are doing the NFC South, which is Adam's home division. We'll be talking about the Falcons, the saints, um, which is especially topical because we are on the begin. We are, I guess a little bit past the eve of free agency, the Panthers and the Super Bowl winning bucks. So a lot of interesting teams at very different positions in their team building journeys, I guess. But just before we start that, I said we wouldn't be talking about free agency very quickly. We are not going to be talking about an an individual player. I actually want to talk a little bit about the Patriots because they have been the news and the talk of free agency so far. Because in the, I guess, 12 or so hours since free agency started, they have signed John New Smith, Devon Godshaw, Matt Judon, Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, Henry Anderson, and Jalen Mills, which is somewhere around $200 million in contracts. And most of those contracts, they gave the player more than they were expected to get. So they overpaid for quite a few of them, which was really surprising because that's not really something that the Patriots have been known to do. They're usually pretty careful in free agency. They've made some, they've made some slurges. I mean, Stephon Gilmore is a notable one that worked out great for them but this isn't really their philosophy. And so Adam, the reason I wanted to talk about it was because I think this tells us something interesting about the Patriots uh, direction as a franchise, because when you spend big in free agency, you tend to get a one-year bump, but it's not sustain- It's not a sustainable path for building a successful franchise. To do that, it's been proven pretty repeatedly that you build teams through the draft. You more assemble mercenaries through free agency, which is not a great metaphor, I know, because everyone is a mercenary in the NFL, but still. Um, that's what I went with. And so what it made me wonder is, does Bill Belichick intend to retire within the next two years? Because this really doesn't look like a man who's building for the future. It looks like someone who's trying to build a winner in his last couple of years on his way out. And so Adam, I'm just going to pose that question to you. Do with it what you will. I mean, if he wants to, I feel like if anyone is in a, in a set spot to retire is Bill Belichick. He's done. He's proven all he needs to prove. He's done all he needs to do. Uh, to get into the Hall of Fame, to to earn himself as one of the greatest, if not the greatest coach of all time. And I don't think that these signs are necessarily that. And here's why. I kind of like what Bill Belichick did here because none of the pieces that they picked up were like too big name, too ultra superstar players. They're all kind of middle of the pack. They'll get the job done. It's a good base team to build around. And I think there's no better coach in the league at managing a base team than Bill Belichick and make them superstars. 
he just needed this this overall level of player that he just didn't have last year to to kind of build a contender. And with guys like Nelson Aguilar, John New Smith, and Kendrick Bourne in that wide receiver core, he can actually do something with that. While last year he kind of was stuck and really didn't have anywhere to go. So I think this is kind of just giving him a chance to to kind of I honestly inspire him again to get back into the coaching and actual turning his team around part of the game. Cause last year he just didn't have the like facets to do that. He clearly hated losing last year. And I think you're right. All of the players that they signed, except for Kendrick Bourne and Jalen Mills, who I think can both be valuable pieces. I see how every single other one of them really fits into the team that Bill Belichick is trying to build around Cam Newton. I think it makes a ton of sense. And I mean, we can go into that on a later date because we don't want to take too much time here, but it, I think that I see that fit for all of them. They just paid a lot of money and they started out free agency with, I think the third most cap space and they've spent most of it. I mean, they went out there and it's an interesting proposition though, because they're in a ridiculously stacked AFC. Like even after doing all of this, I probably wouldn't put them any higher. I haven't even looked at this carefully, but they probably can't be ranked any higher than maybe the fifth best team in the conference. And definitely not the best team probably probably to maybe not one of the best two teams in their division like that is a tough tough task for them to overcome yeah see but what what this tells me really is that bill belichick clearly has a plan and he has he he handpicked these players specifically devon godshaw jalen mills kendrick Bourne. while they're not might not be the top top tier players that people would expect to go for early in free agency he went after them so i think that Bill Belichick with, with a plan is a scary Bill Belichick and he's, he's going to be, and the Patriots are going to be a, a sleeper team um, next year. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. I think that, well, I think it's still an ongoing debate about how good they'll be. It definitely changes what this team looks like. And so that's something we'll talk about. I think when we do our report card for the AFC East, which I think we're going to wait to do until closer to the draft. So you might need to wait for that. But this week we are doing the NFC South, as I said previously, And we are going to start off with the Saints, the New Orleans Saints, who had as high hopes as any other team coming into the season and pretty much bottomed out as the season came to an end, as Drew Brees was like looking over to over his shoulder, the Superdome and all of that. And now as we look back at them with a sober eyed assessment, it's very interesting what we've seen. And Adam, I mean... I'm very, I'm really looking forward to this because the more notes I took on them and the more I looked into them, I came to some interesting conclusions. So I think we should just start off with the offense for 2020. What grade did you give them? This was, this was tough because this was probably the most one-dimensional offense in all of football last year. Uh, so I, I gave Alvin Kamara a grade of an A+, plus, but I gave their offense a grade of a B-, minus because besides Alvin Kamara, I wasn't impressed at all by any any part of their offense or their scheme. It was literally just having the best player in the NFL, which I should maybe give a little bit more credit, but I just I wasn't impressed. Even though they had the seventh ranked offense, it was entirely one dimension. I was much harsher than you. I maybe unfairly harsh, but I give him a D plus. And again, this was more based off of expectations because they were so high coming into the season. It was Drew Brees' last year. You know, they're bringing back probably the best wide receivers, the best wide receiver coming off the best season in recent NFL history. And Michael Thomas, obviously they re-signed Alvin Kamara. They had an incredible offensive line who they added a first round pick to all of these factors were coming together. And Drew Brees was even worse than expected, except for a couple games. I found this out. And this was pretty interesting. 
Some of the players that threw deep more times just in total than Drew Brees in 2020 include Mike Glennon, Brandon Allen, and Jalen Hurts, none of whom played more than five games in 2020. I was waiting for like Russell Gage or something, but yeah, that doesn't surprise me. What we learned this season is that Taysom Hill isn't the long-term answer at quarterback, but they're still paying him $16 million this year. We also didn't learn if Jameis Winston could be the long-term answer because they only played him for 54 offensive snaps. We'll be talking about his deal in a little bit, actually. But as you mentioned, their run game was excellent. The offensive line was still very good. But it feels like they wasted a year here because Sean Payton was so prideful about Drew Brees and then later Taysom Hill. And I think it really cost them. And that really sucks to see because this team could have been really special. Yeah, they 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 had the seventh ranked offensive DVOA, so I couldn't really give them that bad of a, a grade. But at the same time, it was all Alvin Kamara, and we 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 complained about them not playing Jameis enough during the season. So we we'll we'll leave that point alone for now. But yeah, it was it was annoying for sure. Next up is defense, where I gave them an A because it took yeah. a little while, took them a couple of weeks, um, but once they got going, which was around week eight. They were really dominant. They were second in DVOA, third against the pass, second against the run, while playing the eighth hardest slate of offenses, which if you look at those teams at the top of the DVOA standings, all of them face really easy schedules except for the Saints. So just another feather in their cap. They were excellent. I, I really don't have that. I don't have that much to say about them because they were so good and they just have a lot of really, really good players at every position. Yeah, especially defensive line. When you can have a guy like Hendrickson get 13 and a half sacks, it really tells you something about that entire defense. And they just kind of acted like a unit as they always do. And it was a classic New Orleans defense. And if we're going based off expectations, it was about exactly what we could have hoped for them. I couldn't agree more. Actually, you just mentioned Trey Hendrickson, which I thought was interesting because his breakout was unexpected. And got to say, not buying it. He has not signed with the team as of right now. But according to Brandon Thorne, who was charting this stuff, 10 out of his 13 sacks were either low-quality sacks, cleanup sacks, or coverage sacks. And I don't think he's a bad player. I just think that he's going to get paid like a nearly star-level player. And he's Vic not Beasley bad. numbers. It's hard to say that just because Vic Beasley's numbers are so incredibly unexpected. And if you look at Trey Hendricks' numbers in the past, at least by rate stats, he was pretty efficient, just not maybe a star-level player is more what he is. He's a solid He's a solid power rusher. I just don't think he has the other tools in his toolkit to become the type of player that he's probably going to get paid like um, this offseason. I don't know who's going to do it, but that's what concerns me. I don't think he's coming back to the Saints, obviously. But, you know, just an incredible unit all around. Yeah, but when you got the Rams signing people like Leonard Floyd for four years, you never know. That was ridiculous. (laughs) Oh, man, I'm looking forward to next week already. Yeah. All right, coaching. Adam, what grade did you give them? Because this one was a little bit, this was a little tr- tricky. I, I, I gave them a B plus. It's, it's so hard to grade the, the Saints coaching because it's kind of the exact same every year. Uh, I was just a little disappointed with their, with their hesitance with Jameis Winston and their uh, steadfastness with, with Taysom Hill. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, I didn't want to notch them too far because they'd still made the playoffs and still had like a run or whatever, but. That, that Drew Brees situation was really annoying. I gave them pretty much exactly the same stuff. I gave them a B plus for coaching. I give them an A for in-game play calling because I couldn't knock them for that. But they were really shooting themselves in the foot by playing Brees over Jameis. And then they shot themselves in the balls by playing Hill over Jameis. So, you know, just yeah. a series of bad off-field decisions. But when they were in the middle of the games, they did pretty much as well as we could have hoped. 
Yeah, I mean, the coaching for the Saints has never been a problem. That was probably pretty safe for them, and they always managed to, to fix their cap problems, so you can't really get mad at them for that. For their rookies, they only had four draft picks in 2020 because they traded up once or twice, which they are wont to do. They got, I think, an extra third-round pick. So I gave them a C, I, just because none of their rookies played all that much. Adam Trotman looks like he might be something and will probably be taking over for Jared Cook in 2021. He showed some pass-catching chops at tight end. So something to keep an Very eye good on. Very good blocking, too. Very good block. Yeah, if you're a fantasy player, keep your eye on Adam Trotman. He could be a sneaky value. Cesar Ruiz, who was their first-round pick, was okay. Not great, but he has time to develop because he has so many great players around him on the offensive line. And then the other two players basically didn't see the field. One of them is on the Panthers now. I, yeah. I don't know. What do you think? I, I give them a C plus for pretty much the same reasons. I just couldn't knock them too hard because they're only having four draft picks. It's, you don't really have a lot of room for error. Uh, but yeah, they couldn't really have done much more. Uh, I thought Ruiz was the perfect pick there, and he just hasn't been as good as he as you would hope. But when you're in that system, you're not going to turn out to be a bad offensive lineman. So it, it, they, they have some time to work with him. Yeah, no, I agree. They drafted him knowing that he's a really good run blocker and he's turned out to be a solid run blocker. Can definitely still pick up some steam in that area and he still needs to get better in pass protection as expected. Yeah, he was probably the worst pass protector in the NFC last year. It was rough. But again, when you have four <laughs> potential uh, pro bowlers around you on the yeah, line, yeah, like, you can have a little hole. Yeah, exactly. You can hide that. For vibes, I didn't even have that much. I just gave them a C because I didn't think too much about it. I give them the exact same. I just I couldn't I couldn't bring myself to to give them any higher. Maybe after that twelve million dollars to, to Jameis, I'll give them a C plus. Yeah, sure. That that sounds good. But here's the interesting one, uh, <laughs> where a lot of their offseason is actually done at, at this point now, but their offseason outlook, which is truly fascinating. So Adam, why don't you start walking us through this? I think the first thing we got to talk about is Taysom Hill's contract because I think that's kind of like the most interesting thing uh, that's happened, uh, at least from a non like if you're a non football fan trying to understand this Taysom Hill contract, I'm apologize because even as a football fan, I don't get it. It's an entirely voided contract and it uses this mechanism which stretches out the contract, which allows for them to save eight million dollars this year, but kind of raise the value in the future by a little amount, but also not guarantee something, but it needs to be a minimum amount in order to make it stretch out for longer in order to, I don't get it either. Here's all you need to know for this. Basically, it's just going to lower what was previously a $16 million cap hit in 2021, and it's going to put some books for some money on the books for 2022, and then maybe beyond depending on the structure, which we don't exactly know yet. That's really all you need to know. Don't worry too much about it. He's not getting $140 million. He probably won't be on the team for four more years. Yeah, I think that's that's very important to, to understand. So this entire offseason for the Saints, as we've talked about pretty much all year, because we knew it would be starting, basically the clock started ticking at the beginning of 2020. We knew that this offseason was just about getting under the cap, not really building on what they have. And it came down to Mickey Loomis, who's a general manager, who we all know. And Kai Hartley, who's our salary cap specialist, who I just wanted to shout out because he's clearly done an incredible job without any recognition. How long has he been there? There's a special or their salary cap 
I don't have that information. I would recommend that anyone who's been with Mickey Loomis for pretty much any period of time and been with them for this off season of all off seasons, someone should be giving a lot of money to is what I would recommend. Or just like, look at what they did. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. It is incredible that they franchise Marcus Williams. We talked about that last week. It's just crazy. I don't know how they made that work. Yeah. So a couple other things that they did, they signed Jameis Winston to a one year, $12 million contract with incentives, but most of those incentives don't count against their 2021 books. So they're really only taking on around five to $6 million in cap hit for this season, which is, you know, just more smart Saints stuff. And as of right now, they're only around $10 million on the cap. And so Adam, here's how I think that they're going to do it. So I'm going to walk you through my plan for them getting under the cap with $10 million to go a couple, most of the easy guys already cut. First of all, we might see another restructure or two. That's entirely possible. Secondly, I think the best way to get under the cap while keeping their team together without cutting anyone really important is actually to extend Ryan Ramshek and, Mar- and Marshawn Lattimore. Because the way that you do that is you give them a big signing bonus, you give them a low 2021 cap hit, and then when the cap jumps in 2022 and 2023, you have their salaries jump with it. And it's a pretty easy way to lower their each around $10 million cap hits in 2020, um, maybe pay them 5 to $6 million in base salary this year, and then just pay them a lot more when the cap goes up and you actually have a little bit of cap space. And by doing that, they can, they can probably, probably finish the deal and get under the cap. And maybe even like have enough money for another signing. <laughs> Cause it's crazy what they've been able to do since they've gone this far. Might, might as well go that far in the other direction. Adam, I texted you, I think yesterday. <laughs> I don't, I don't remember. I texted you. I am just so mad. They are getting away with this and I'm not mad. These are cheating the cap. Good. Everyone should cheat the cap. I actually want to note that, you know, like there's a prevailing theory on NFL Twitter that the cap is fake. The cap isn't fake. It's a soft cap, but there's just so many ways to play with it that every team should be exploiting the way the Saints are. That's why I think that someone should pay Kai Hartley or, you know, anyone Sign else. Sign for a contract. Yeah, years, like <laughs> $165 million. I mean, he's going to save you that much money over the long term. <laughs> it's just incredible that we knew that they were coming in $60 million over the cap and they're getting away with it. They're going to be under the cap without losing anyone of significance. Anyone. Yeah, I just think that it would be hilarious if we had salary cap analysts like on the board with, with the best free agents. We have team bidding for them. That would be hilarious. I mean, if you're asking me if I'd rather pay <laughs> Kai Hartley or like Matt Judon, I'd rather pay <laughs> Kai Hartley. <laughs> yeah, but I they somehow managed to do this with only getting rid of Emmanuel Sanders, Janoris Jenkins, Quan Alexander, Jared Cook. Like, no one that's going to make a big impact on this team. So, pretty much unscathed. Really, all that's left for the Saints to do is to draft a wide receiver and probably a cornerback. And here's my question, Adam. And this is this actually cuts to the root of why I'm so upset. And it's not that I'm really angry. It's just that as I was going through this, I wonder, is it crazy to think that the 2021 Saints could be better than the 2020 Saints? Because I'm thinking that if they have probably improved quarterback play, that could outweigh a slightly worse defense and a slightly worse supporting cast on offense. Is that crazy? I mean, you tell me. I think it depends on how they do in their draft, because if, if they go after a wide receiver, which there's going to be so many good ones this year, I could totally see this year's Saints being better than last year's. But it's kind of a tough – it's a tough thing to, to, to guess, kind of, because they were so good this year. 
that saying that they're going to be better next year is a, is a tough task. And maybe if Jameis Winston is their starter, I can guarantee that they will be better. Oh, yeah. I'm not even guaranteeing that they'll be better. It's just that the fact that we can even wonder if they'll be better coming <laughs> out of the offseason is insane. It's yeah, insane. It's, it's ridiculous. I, oh, my God. What this offseason has taught us for the Saints is that every other team just doesn't have an excuse for not doing this kind of stuff and for crying poor or when they're near the cap. No, there is a way to get that money. Go get it. Go spend it. Right? Like, there are ways to do this stuff. Yeah. I don't think that the NFL even wants to close these loopholes, right? Like, they don't really care. So, the other teams should be doing this. And and if they do close the loopholes, they're not closed now. So, go do it. <laughs> it's, yep, it's not too exactly. late. I mean, the Rams are clearly trying to do it. Whether they're spending their money on the right players, <laughs> different question. But Maybe um, we shouldn't let them have money. It's, they're yeah, only making uh, themselves work. I I don't know. <laughs> just uh, that that Leonard Floyd deal makes me irrationally angry. Same as the Saints, but I mean it's not a, irrational. It's completely irrational. It doesn't. I mean, make you any know, sense. Every, every player should get paid. I want to firmly declare that I hope that every player gets all the money that they want. I just think that that is crazy, and that doesn't even. <laughs> and like from what the Rams have proven, it doesn't oh, make sense. Oh, I'm I love Leonard Floyd for getting his bag for getting that money, but <laughs> I just don't understand why. Yeah, absolutely. That is a topic for next week. Adam, is there anything else? Oh, actually, let's close it out with overall grades for the Saints. I gave them a C minus, mostly because they had really, really high hopes coming into the season. It was pretty much Super Bowl or bust with Drew Brees clearly closing out a con- closing out his career, and they didn't get there. I mean, a, a team within their division won the Super Bowl, which is pretty tough. Um, so that's why I gave them a C minus, which is a little harsh. I do understand that, given for how well they actually played, just relative to expectations. Like, we wanted more out of this team. Yeah. Uh, I give them a B just because, overall, they still were one of the best teams in offensive and defensive football this year. Whether or not they could have done better, that's another question. But just overall, they were a pretty solid team. And they missed out on a chance of being much better. But they were still very, very good this year. I can't argue with that. So the next team on our list is the Carolina Panthers, who let's, I got to say, get through these guys fast. yeah, one of the teams that I thought about the least this entire season, let's start with the offense. Adam, what grade did you give them? This one was another one where they're missing one of their best players. So it's hard to grade, but still I gave them a C minus just because while Teddy, Teddy Bridgewater, Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel should be a very decent offense at least uh the, no matter what running back you have they still found a way to to end pretty poorly in 17th in the offensive DVOA so I just gave them a little less than middle of the pack I gave them a C it was interesting some of the flavor that Joe Brady brought to the offense was interesting and it didn't really matter all that much because Teddy Bridgewater was relatively mediocre and I just gotta say like who's surprised by this he played if you look at the numbers pretty much exactly the same as he did with the Saints he just had a worse situation around him. And now they have a $20 million cap hit for them this year while they're trying to move on from him. Like all this was predictable in the last offseason. They did this to themselves. Yeah. And in his defense, he wasn't bad. Uh, no, he was... same as the Saints is sort of what I was saying. Like if you look at his yeah. rate numbers, they're very, very similar, actually. I would say he was a little bit better than Drew Brees this season. Uh, I, I just think that Teddy Bridgewater, it's kind of like a, he's not a long term option. He's a solid quarterback. He's a Jacoby Brissett level quarterback. 
but uh, he's not he's not going to win you the games that you want to win as a Panthers team. Uh, and maybe if you want to get another good draft pick, stick with him for another year. But uh, if you want to improve, then you got to draft one this year, I think. Yeah, two points of clarification. If he's on the same level, he's absolutely nothing like Jacoby Brissett, but I do see the point that you're trying to make. Oh, I don't want to be... Oh, God. I, yeah. I shouldn't have said <laughs> with him. Any, I mean, any, the same level of... of yes, of no, I, I got what you're saying. And also, sorry, I didn't mean the Saints this year. I meant his five games with the Saints in 2019. That's that's what I was comparing him to. Anyways. Yeah. Oh, and then the only other player worth mentioning is that Curtis Samuel finally had a breakout year. That was pretty impressive. His numbers jumped in both rate and total stats, so he's going to get paid this offseason, which good for him. And I think that he's pretty, he's proven that he's actually a relatively valuable player, and I think someone's going to be pretty happy if they know how to deploy him correctly um, this coming season. Yeah, a lot of people see him going to the Washington football team to rejoin with Ron Rivera. I'm not sure if that's the best system for him, but it's definitely an option, and just get out of Carolina. <laughs> yeah, he could reasonably be the wide receiver, too, on that team. I just have higher hopes for them, but yeah. For defense, I gave them a C minus. Like they were all young guys. The expectations were very low. So I could have given them a higher grade, honestly. They were 24th in DVOA, but it could have been much worse when you consider that pretty much everyone on that defense was like a second year or younger. Brian Burns was quietly excellent again, but he basically has no help around him. Yeah. Uh, I give them a D plus for the same reasons. Brian Burns is one of the best defensive players in the NFL, but won't get any love until he has people around him to help him. Uh, he's been doing it all on his own. Like, it, who who did they have that was, like, decent? They had Dante Jackson, who kind of had a decent year, can't really do everything on his own. Trey Boston was awful. And, and Jeremy Chin was pretty solid, but we'll get to him in a second. It's just there's too many holes that they try to plug with some mediocre rookies, like, uh, Yatur Gross Matos and Troy Pride, and it just didn't look good. So I give them a D plus. I guess if based on expectations, I could have been a little nicer, but it was it was a bad overall showing. Yeah, they were missing Kawan Short, who was a COVID opt out, I believe, and now he's a cap casualty, so he won't be coming back. But he should have been either their best or their second best player on defense, and so it was tough for them to be missing him, especially since he probably would have been really good next to Derek Brown. Um, so it's a shame we didn't get to see that happen, but. I agree with pretty much everything else you said. And I think we can move on from it because they're counting on big jumps from all these players, but there isn't that much that we saw this past season. And they're not led by a great coaching group either. So while Matt Rule, actually, what did you give them for coaching? I gave them a C because I liked what Joe Brady did. I think he's probably going to get hired as a head coach next year. He's a young white guy with innovative offensive ideas. Like he'll probably get hired. And I just thought it was way too early to determine anything about Matt Rule because he has a seven-year contract. So he's built, well, you know what? He should be building the team slowly, but what they're doing makes no sense at all. So don't know if that's his fault. Don't know if that's the GM's fault. I actually don't know who the GM is. I don't think it's still Marty Herney. I don't think. I'm not too up on my GM knowledge. GM for the Panthers. I I thought they'd fired him, but I might be wrong. It is Scott Fitterer. Okay. Yeah. They must have hired him to replace Herney. On Anyways. January 14th, 2021. So he's pretty new. There we go. Okay. I like, I, I don't know. I didn't see much from the coaching staff outside of Brady and Phil Snow. I mean, he had a really young defense. I don't know what he was supposed to do, but you know, nothing all that interesting. Yeah. I give them a C. They were put in a rough situation and there's not much you can do about it. I actually kind of liked how they came off to start the season. 
Uh, they kind of were clicking a little bit, but they it's just the thing with rookies is you're not going to have consistency with them. And you saw that pretty clearly throughout the rest of the year. It, it was a bad bunch, but you know what? You can't really blame them. They got put in that tough position, even without Christian McCaffrey. So. So you mentioned rookies, and I will use that as a segue into the rookies, which is, as we've mentioned before, I think maybe one of the only teams ever to spend every single draft pick on defensive players. And they had a lot of draft picks. They spent all of them on defensive players. I didn't think it worked all that well. I gave them a D plus, um, mostly because I thought that some of the value signings were bad, or draft picks, I guess, were bad. But what did you give them? I gave them a C. I think that Jeremy Chin was about the only good player that they drafted and they I could have given them much worse because of how ineffective the rest of them were but they also all were thrown into the deep end and you can't really blame them too much Derek Brown is not what they would have hoped for their number seven overall pick but also tough situation it's it's just so hard to grade to grade someone so like a whole team of rookies that had to play at an NFL ready day one Here's sort of what I think about Derek Brown. I thought he was actually pretty good. I thought he showed potential. He was put in a tough situation. As I mentioned, it would have been much easier for him if Kawan Short was next to him. And he ended up having nine knockdowns and 22 pressures, which is pretty solid as an interior rusher. However, the problem wasn't necessarily that they drafted him at number seven. It was that they drafted a nose tackle at number seven, which was just a terrible value pick. And we know that. I mean, we know that it's just not a good position to invest in early. I'd probably rather have Isaiah Simmons, who we also know wasn't good, but the positions that he plays are more valuable than Browns. Especially on this team that had so many holes on defense. Yeah, I got to say, I feel very similarly about Derek Brown as I do about Dexter Lawrence on the Giants. Another good nose tackle. Just, you probably shouldn't have drafted him that early in the first round. It's just not necessarily a great value pick. That's basically where I'm at. If you're not- No nose tackles. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, if you're not creating consistent interior pressure, like another player who we'll talk about soon, Grady Jarrett or Aaron Donald or any of those guys, you're probably not worth the pick that they're spending on you. Yeah. And even in college, like acknowledging a good nose tackle is so hard and realizing like when there's a nose tackle that's so much better than the, than the rest of them is so tough. And sometimes you want to take a, a flyer on it and hope you get a Grady Jarrett or a or an Aaron Donald, but just it's got to be a next-level talent if you want to take him that high, and I just wasn't as impressed by Derek Brown coming out of college. Yeah, and there is a place for nose tackles in the NFL. It's just that with, with the way that the NFL is shifting, Devon Godshaw, uh, the Patriots signee, who was formerly on the Dolphins, is actually a great example of that, and he actually lost his starting job to Raekwon Davis, I believe, who was the Dolphins' second-round pick, who was excellent. It's just like you probably shouldn't be drafting them seventh overall. I think that's a lot of nose tackles this course. So we can move on from there. But as you as you said, Jeremy Chin definitely looked better than I think I expected him to look immediately. I was high on him, but as a small school prospect, it, it was clearly going to be a tough transition without many veterans on that team. And he made several splash plays and he played all over the formation. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, I, I wasn't I wasn't actually that keen on the way he played this season. I think he played a lot and therefore he had some nice plays, but just in that defense, you got to give him some props for at least being semi-effective. Yeah, we, <laughs> we've we talked about uh, Jeremy Chin before. Um, I'm going to move on rather than talking about Itur Gross Matos. Because I don't think anyone wants to hear that. Yeah, I think all you needed to hear out of that is gross. Yeah, sure, that's a, that's an apt comparison. Sure vibes. I, I don't even Speaking know. I was not, yeah, I was not paying attention to the Panthers all year. I can't give you a grade for this. 
Yeah, I give them a D just because they're not someone that you scoff at when you hear, but they're also not someone you want to hear about. So I'm sorry for even making that you listeners listen to us talk about the Panthers for so long. It's just you're gonna forget, we're gonna forget about them six weeks into next season, anyways. So let's let's move on. It's very telling that our defining point of conversation about the Panthers is nose tackle discourse. Yeah. <laughs> so for the offseason outlook, which is again my favorite part of any of these teams, it's a tough sell. I give them a D because they came in with $30 million in cap room, but their main goal was to rebuild the offensive line. They have three starters hitting for agency and they might cut Matt Paradis or Paradis. I don't know how to pronounce his name. And so the moves that they've made so far there are they franchise Taylor Moten, which is good. He was worth the franchise tag and he should get a pretty solid extension. Their right tackle. Then today they gave Pat F line offline a three year, $13.5 million contract. And they gave Cam Irving a two years, $10 million contract, 14 million guaranteed between the two of them. Uh, that's re- <laughs> it's it's just so really of the Panthers ethos like oh it's it's the same it's the Teddy Bridgewater deals that they didn't learn from and it, and with 12 draft picks coming up their their overall team is going to be the most mediocre group of so many people <laughs> and it's it's going to be this level that's just it's not going to be fun to watch and it's, it's at this point when you got to realize that quality does at some point come over quantity and having a bunch of decent players isn't going to win you games. It's going to ha- you're going to have to turn those decent players into good players, which I guess they'll have the capital to do, but they're just going to lose out on so much value. Frankly, if most of those players were decent, I would be happy. Like I'm not even that high on them. They just would have had a much easier path if they had bottomed out last year, because right now they're signing all of these multi-year deals with older guys who clearly aren't long-term fixes, and they're just going to stay trapped in something less than mediocrity. And Matt Rule's path for the franchise needs to be laid out in this next year, because I still have no idea what they want to be or how they intend to compete for a Super Bowl or what their team identity is. And they're in his second, they're going to the second year of a seven-year contract. He has all the time and all the security in the world. And I don't know what they're trying to build. And that's it, the problem. It feels like a college team. Yeah. It, yeah. Like you don't know when people are gonna leave. You don't know when people are gonna come in. You don't know what positions you're good at. It's just you're kind of figuring it out on the on the go. And it's not a way you want to run an NFL team. The one interesting part about this offseason is their quest for a new quarterback because they have made it very clear that they want something better than Teddy, which I feel bad for Teddy. I I like Teddy. He's clearly a great guy. um, And he doesn't deserve being publicly trashed um, just because they signed him to that contract, but they've got a couple different options. Um, If Deshaun Watson's available, you give anything and everything. I think David Tepper is a billionaire. You give him most of your money. I think you can do that pretty quickly. Other than that, the best case scenario is Trey Lance falls to you at number eight. Or you could try to move up from number eight because with the number of teams that need a quarterback and the really weak quarterback class next year, there's a lot of teams that are going to be looking to move up. So if the Panthers want to, they can make a move for the number three pick. Other than that, they could draft Mac Jones at number eight, which you're shaking your head. I'm shaking my head. It, it would be so disastrously bad and so Panthers to do that um they're probably going, i knew that's where but, you were going with that and i was like don't say it. don't say it. no 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 i think mel kuyper mocked into them at number eight in his latest mock drafters whatever 
don't do a Panthers, please. Please. Oh my God, that would, that would be another AJ McCarron. You just have don't. fans that care for you. Don't. <laughs> well, few, but there are there are some fans that care for you. I said fans that multiple doesn't need to be a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Steph Curry cares for you. That's all. You that's go. all that matters. But yeah, it, it, they're in a they're in a tough position. I think we've talked way too much about the Panthers, and we should probably move on to one of the better teams in the NFL. Another team. That we're not gonna well, okay. Um, another team that we're definitely gonna talk about way too much that doesn't deserve it is the Atlanta Falcons. So let's just get into it. Adam, you're taking the lead on this one because oh, all right, final grades for the Panthers. I gave them a D. Sorry. Same. Great. Okay, I gave them sorry. a D. Adam, as the hometown fan for the pan for the Falcons, you're gonna take the lead on this. Just start us off with the offense. What grade did you give them? I give them a C for their offense this year just because of expectations. It could not have been coached worse than it was. Uh, the amount of times that you texted me during Falcons games, wait a second, isn't it second and 15? Why are they running the ball with Todd Gurley on an inside run? It was ridiculous. I think that might have happened over 70% of the time that they were on second and long. It, it was probably one of the worst coaching performances I've ever seen with a very good team offense around you with some of the better weapons in the NFL. We saw Calvin Ridley come up. We saw, well, we've seen Julio Jones thrive in the past decade of football. Uh, you had Matt Ryan, who's still pretty solid at quarterback. It just got driven into the ground by awful coaching. And I, I think a C was generous. It was bad. I gave them a D minus. Because I think that this team is way too talented to finish 21st in offensive DVOA. And Dirk Cotter's play calling was offensive, frankly. I, yeah. I texted you a lot about it and vice versa. <laughs> I think I think it would have been better if they had Matt Ryan out there calling schoolyard plays. It was, it was horrendous. Yeah, and then Ryan was basically average by every advanced metric I could find. Um, I looked into a bunch of them, and he was right around like 15 to 18 in all of them, which with the amount of help that he was getting and the play calling he was getting is probably fine. And you could probably get pretty solid play out of him in 2021. Yeah. I would like a young quarterback to back him up, but for now he's, he's just good enough. Not really. I'm not ready to throw him away yet. So we will definitely get into that. Let's talk <laughs> yeah. about the defense quickly. I gave them a C plus because they got better. Once Raheem Morris took over, they had some interesting pressure looks. They nearly beat the chiefs on the strength of their defense, not their offense, which is pretty impressive. But they're building a defense around their linebackers, which is a very outdated way to do it. We'll see how it works. Dean Pease has his work cut out for him. And I sort of like the idea of Green Dog blitzing Deion Jones the way that the Bucks did Devin White just to take advantage of his speed. I see paths for that. We both really like you, especially like Foyo Luakon, who took a massive step forward. And he was all over the field whenever I watched the Falcons game. Other than that, a lot of question marks around the rest of the defense. Yeah, I mean, to have one of the best linebacker cores in the NFL and then still have the 14th-ranked DVOA kind of shows how how poor the rest of the defense is. Uh, Grady Jarrett is obviously one of the best defensive players in football. But besides that, you're looking at a very subpar secondary, and your only young guy that you kind of can hope for on that secondary is A.J. Terrell, who had a pretty decent season, which we'll get to in a second. But at the same time, this this defense, like, it wasn't terrible. It, it did the job. If we had a better offense, and it would have been a much more fun season. They were outscored by only 18 points all year and somehow managed to lose, to, to have a 4-12 and record, which is a little ridiculous. 
but I'm, I'm happy about it. We got a better draft pick. We just got to work on that offense next year. Here's my only remaining question about the defense. Keanu Neal, who I think was a first round pick, actually, no, sorry, second round pick a couple years back. He's probably leaving in free agency and he's been very productive when healthy. He was a franchise tag candidate. The Falcons technically don't have the money, but the Saints definitely didn't have the money. And then they still fit a safeties franchise tag hit under the cap. So that's not really a real excuse after we saw what they did. I don't know. How do you feel about that? Did you want to bring him back? Do you want to still try to bring him back now? It's such a tough decision because we need so we need so much help at every position that I think we kind of need him back. And a hundred percent, we should do what the Saints did and somehow manage to get him back if we can. I just don't think that the Falcons are that apt. Uh, <laughs> the management team hasn't shown any optimism uh, towards that towards that notion. He's probably going to walk. We already are seeing guys like Demonte Casey go, Ricardo Allen. That this this team is is letting important pieces of the defense go. I think that Keanu Neal is next, and that's definitely going to be a a point that they need to focus on in the second and third rounds of the draft. Yeah, no, I I can get behind that. Let's talk about coaching quickly because it was frankly a dumpster fire. Again, <laughs> I like Raheem Morris. I want to give him some credit, but. I actually forgot that Dan Quinn got fired last season until I was going back through this. Cause I just like that happened so early in the season that I forgot about it happening. And then Dirk Cotter was terrible. So I gave them a D plus. What did you give them? I gave them a D minus. It's so hard. Cause you have to think about Raheem Morris to bring them up that little bit from an F, but not enough to bring them up anything further. Cause I think Dirk Cotter and Dan Quinn were some of the worst coaches of all time. Sure. So you mentioned AJ Terrell, their rookie quarterback, who I was very impressed by. I think you were too, and I was very surprised by. So what grade did you give their rookies? I gave them a B. I think that with the the draft that they had, they came out pretty well. I think it was a little disappointing how poor Marlon Davidson and Matt Hennessy played this year with their second and third picks. But um, th- I think it was completely made up for by Michael Walker, who came in the fourth round. Again, another linebacker in Raheem Morris' system that that improved tremendously throughout the year and was honestly one of our best defensive players in the last three weeks of the season. He was somehow on the all-defensive rookie team, but I think that was just because of the lack of good rookie linebackers this year. And I think that the Terrell and um, Michael Walker picks were pretty good and they'll be pieces of our defense for the next five to six years. When the AJ Terrell pick happened, I was not a fan because he got roasted badly against LSU every time he went against them. But I think he's proven me wrong. He definitely got better as the season went along. And he was, in the end, in a season where there were not many good rookie quarterbacks, so that should be noted, he was one of the best ones. So that is a point of optimism. Yeah, but as a point of pessimism to bring you down a little bit, he allowed more yards and coverage than any other outside cornerback in the league. And he was one of just 15 players at the position in the past decade to allow 10 or more plays for result in 25-yard gains. So, so at the same time, you got to bring him down a little, but for the position he was put in as their only cornerback, basically, not bad. that. That's what I was going to say. Like, he wasn't getting any help, and he definitely got better as the season went along, but good to note. Here is, again, I think the interesting part, the, oh, wait, I guess vibes. I gave them a D. You can't blow that many close games and do well in vibes. Yeah, I, I give him a C minus just because I like the Arthur Smith uh, pickup. I think that he's building a, a new a new morale in that organization, getting rid of some of the old heads, the Ricardo Allens that have held us back a little bit on defense. 
and it, we're it, we're building a new team with a new energy and i hope that that this is a new future for this team ricardo allen just caught an unnecessary amount of shade but let's move forward and build something new talking about their offseason outlook which you have a better sense of than i do so what do you think about your falcons it's one of those positions where you don't have money to play with, but you have people to cut. You have plenty of people, plenty of people to cut. And I think that if they get rid of some of these guys that are just straight dead hits on dead, uh, dead money at this point, you have the money to spend on some young guys that can maybe fill in those gaps. I think that it's going to come down to this draft though. And if they get the right quarterback. They're $10 million over the cap right now. They have no really significant free agents of their own other than Keanu Neal, who they might need to bring back. So that's an upside, I guess. That's, I guess, positive, although it means that they haven't developed anyone good enough to yeah. need to bring back. So that is the downside of that. For the millionth year in a row since Vic Beasley's 15-sack season, they need an edge rusher, and they're paying Dante Fowler $18.5 million this year. <laughs> who could have saw that coming? <laughs> uh, they need help in the secondary. They need a second cornerback. They need safeties because... Allen and Neil will probably both be leaving and they could probably Allen use help up leaving. front. Yeah. 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 So here's my question. I mean, like I just lay, I just laid out a lot of defensive needs. They'll probably address those in the draft. Here's my first question. They have the number four overall pick, which this team is not that bad. As you said, their point differential was something like negative 18. I think you said they're not that bad. They're not the fourth worst team in the league or even close to that. They probably won't be in this position again. I have my answer, but would you draft a quarterback at number four? Yes. No, no questions asked. A hundred percent. Great. Great. Um, I think it should definitely, if they're lucky, be Justin Fields, but that's another question. Okay. So that, okay. So that's an easy question. Matt Ryan probably can't be moved in the next two years, which makes it a little bit tougher to figure out what the timeline is for that quarterback. But I definitely agree. You make that pick. Here's my question. Just, you know, the Falcons screwed this up. They don't pick a quarterback. What player do you want them to pick? Maybe one on offense, one on defense. Which ones do you prefer? That's so tough. That's such a – I mean, obviously, if there, there's – oh, my God, there's so many options because we need so much. The good thing is there's a lot of good wide receivers and we don't need them. So hopefully we'll have time. If we don't take fields, I would like us to trade back a little bit and get another pick. Because Fully agree. You should not be drafting a non-quarterback at number four. Yeah, teams are going are gonna to spend a lot of picks on – these top tier quarterbacks, the the linebackers, the the Kyle Pitts, the Micah Parsons, those type of players that we just don't need right now. Maybe Caleb Farley. I'm a big I'm a big fan of him out of Virginia Tech, the cornerback. I think we need another cornerback to, to match up with AJ Terrell yep. on the defensive side of the ball. If not Justin Fields, I don't want to stake anyone on on offense unless it's unless somehow Arthur Smith sees something with one of the other quarterbacks, because if you're ready to commit to one, oh, I'm all for it. Go for it. Build your system around him. Uh, but if you're not, don't settle. Don't settle for a quarterback. One other thought. Panay Sewell, I know that you guys have both your tackles set, but Caleb McGarry hasn't been that good, and Jake Matthews is getting pretty old. Would you be okay with them drafting Panay Sewell? Or I think Slater? I'd be shocked if he fell to fourth. I think I would be shocked I, I, if he got drafted before fourth. <laughs> I have right in all my mock drafts, I have Penesul going third. I think that he has that type of value. But if he falls to us and we don't like what we see in Justin Fields and we're not ready to commit to Justin Fields, I'd be happy with that pick. 
I think that's the only justifiable pick at number four. Um, but after that, I think you have to trade back if, if you don't see your guy there. For the record, I'd be pretty shocked if the Dolphins didn't trade back and the quarterback wasn't taken at number three. So I have Sewell going at number five to the Bengals in most of my mocks. So I could see him at four. But yeah, I think that makes sense. Final grades for the Falcons. I gave them a C. Yeah, that sounds about right. It was a very forgettable season for a team that was not as bad as its record. But because its record was so bad, it actually gives them a chance to build something new. So I hope for your sake they take advantage of it. Yeah, and we're, we finally have a coach that has some history of success. So that that's my only – I'm holding on to that right now because we haven't had a good coach in years. Yep. So for our last team, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Super Bowl champs, we have talked a ton about them in recent weeks and recent months coming off of, you know, one of the more impressive playoff runs in a while. So we'll do it pretty quickly. I gave them pretty much all A's, so you'll, you'll see, but – Offense first, I gave them a B plus only because they had a slow start and then they obviously got better as the season went along and Tom Brady clicked with Byron Leftwich and Bruce Arians. Yeah, I gave them a B plus as well, just because although they were the third ranked offense in the NFL, that was not because of Brady. Any quarterback could have done that with that system and that those wide receivers. So yeah, I give them a B plus for the same reasons. It just they were very hit or miss, bad under pressure, but at the same time you have the best wide receivers in football. Yep. For defense, I gave them an A because they stopped Patrick Mahomes and then they were also fifth in defensive DVOA, but they stopped Patrick yeah. Mahomes. I, I don't even I care that he made tackles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought I, even though they were ranked the fifth in defensive DVOA, I think they were one of the, one of the top two defenses in the NFL um, for pretty much most of the regular season. Uh, they got put in some tough situations when Tom Brady couldn't keep the ball and were put on the field a lot, but on all levels, just overall, very solid throughout. For coaching, also had to give them an A. I mean, we've already gushed about the amazing jobs Byron Leftwich and Todd Bowles. There's, there's not too much to say. Yeah, yeah. I, we don't, we, we, we've talked about them so much that there's really, we, we've ran out of talking points. Todd Bowles stepped in and it's a criminally underrated job. Yeah, absolutely. Bucks fans. We've already talked about your team so much. You can't really be asking for more. The rest of you are probably happy about this. For rookies, had to give them an A because Antoine Winfield and Tristan Wirfs are probably going to be one of the best rookie classes since the Seahawks 2012 class. And I also like Tyler Johnson as a side note, who don't know how much more he'll play this season, but those two guys could be Hall of Famers themselves. I mean, it's yeah, not out of the picture. Pretty, pretty much as, as good as you can do in a draft. Maybe third and fourth round picks could have been better, but that's not, that's not your fault. You, when you do that well, you kind of get tired of drafting perfect players and you start to go for the for the worst guys. You got to want to switch it up. It's very rare to be drafting players at your positions of need and for them to be perfect fits. You're more likely to probably hit if you're drafting best player available, which is tough for a team that's in the Super Bowl window. So they drafted for their positions of need and they absolutely nailed those picks. So nothing but good things to say. And now they have another pick coming this year in the first round, which that's what's ridiculous. ridiculous. So. I give them an A for vibes. Nothing, nothing to say. They won the Super Bowl. Uh, they yeah, had a plus. parade. Yeah. Ridiculous. Tom Brady got day drunk, all of that. <laughs> vibes don't get better than that. Exactly. For Aussies now, look, this is what this is a little bit interesting. And absolutely also another fun one, like the Saints. I gave them an A because they managed to re-sign Shaq Barrett, who they did today, and Levante David, who they did a little bit earlier, on very reasonable deals, while also tagging Chris Godwin. 
and bringing back Rob Gronkowski. I mean, they did everything they wanted to do this offseason. And Brady. And Brady. <laughs> yeah, he was already under contract. <laughs> well, yeah, they re-signed him for another year, though. They did. They did. Yeah. Literally the only player of significant importance that they're losing is Nadamakang Sue, which I think that if they bring back Steve McClendon for very cheap, like a veteran's minimum, maybe a little bit more, if he doesn't retire, that would be fantastic because he was actually really good replacing Vita Vea last season. He already knows the system. So I think that could be a good fit. I mean, like, what are you supposed to do? They need to replace their running backs, but we, I mean, we've talked about that. Yeah. There's not holes on this team. No. I guess maybe you could look at getting depth at cornerback or something, but it's really, it's a tough choice when you have to think about who they need. My only to do is for the Bucks are get some offensive line depth because that's their current Achilles heel. Um, because if one or two players gets hurt, Tom Brady is doomed. And their, I think, sixth offensive tackle, Joe Haig, who they actually played a decent amount of six, six like heavy sets with six offensive linemen. He, so he played actually a decent amount during the playoff run. He's hitting free agency. They might want to bring him back or just someone else to play in that position as a swing tackle. And then just draft the best player available. And then you can return with the number one or number two odds to win the Super Bowl. You've done it all yeah. already this season. This season. If, if they draft like one of those good offensive linemen this year, like Jalen Mayfield or, I don't know, Tevin Jenkins, if he falls to them somehow, I think they could be another scary team next year with, a ridiculously good offensive line. So I don't advocate for drafting running backs in the first round, but imagine drafting Najee Harris or Najee Harris and having him run between the tackles. They run a ton of duo, you know, inside zone. So he would fit well in that system. Imagine him doing that. <laughs> I think that I think I would be shocked if they went running back with their first pick this year, but they have the room to test things. So why not? But I, I would be very, very surprised if that's where they went with it. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna do very quick reactions because this is the end of our podcast. So very quick reactions to the two deals that were signed while we're while we're recording. Adam, give me a two word reaction, I guess. All right, to yeah, okay. what you're seeing. Okay, Ryan Fitzpatrick signs a one year, ten million dollar deal with. Do you want to guess? Do you want to guess? Please be the Patriots. <laughs> Washington. Okay. <laughs> right, right. I'm putting uh, you on the spot, but you know. That... Very fun. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. That could be su- that's gonna be such an interesting season to keep an eye on. I agree. Yeah. Secondly, and I hadn't even thought about that, but it's actually a very interesting landing spot. Secondly, I hate this deal so much. We already talked about this. Trey Hendrickson signs a four-year 60 million dollar deal with do you want to guess? Because this is what's the infuriating part. Miami Dolphins. Oh no, no, no. Thank God. Oh, no. I thought that's why no. you were infuriated. <laughs> no, no, no. It's the Bengals which is just so frustrating because they let Carl Lawson leave, who's significantly better than Trey Hendrickson for a pretty much equivalent deal just one less year. I I mean, I don't want to bang, I don't want to knock it yet, but I'm not a fan. No, I I got Yeah, so those are our instant reactions. We will talk more about free agents next week. Wow, I'm I'm excited for next week because I think Oh, I did say I would reveal the episode. So what we are going to be doing next week is we are each going to be assemb- or we're going to be assembling a team of the best free agent signings. And by signings, I mean more deals than just the best free agent players, because that's really obvious. Instead, the players who we think were the best values for their teams that signed them and assembling a good team around them. Maybe we'll try to keep it under the salary cap. Maybe we won't. And maybe we'll even make one with the worst signings. And 
we you might see a Trey Hendrickson appearing. That would also be interesting. We need to we need to shake that out. But um, make sure to tune in next week because that is going to be a great time. And thank you for listening this week. We will see you guys all. Next week.